Welcome to Ability Stories Podcast, where we discuss the successes, challenges, and stories of people with disabilities. I'm your host, Tara Briggs. To contact me, please send an email to abilitystories at gmail.com. talk about religion um because you are an atheist and i in you know like i said at the beginning in the u.s you'd be a you'd be in a minority before i start on this i should say i really had to think carefully about doing about talking about this um only because i know that in america it's a really hot button kind of issue to the extent that i published an article um on facebook I just just shared a link. It wasn't my article. I shared a link on Facebook a few months ago that talked about how more and more people were discarding religion in favor of sort of thinking for themselves um, about a moral code to live by that was relevant in the 21st century. And somebody actually unfriended me, but before doing so accused me of hate speech. So it's an incredible um, uh, cauldron over there. Now, here in New Zealand, we've had atheist prime ministers for the last... 18 years and um they 19 years and they don't care i mean um we don't care though so um they'll have a debate you know before the election and somebody will say well i'm an atheist and and maybe the other candidate will say well i'm an atheist too so yeah you're or uh, i'm a catholic or whatever nobody no one cares here Hmm. um it's just not even important um so but then i thought well i will talk about this because um i Maybe it will help someone. It's certainly not going to convince anybody who is very staunch in their religious beliefs. And it's really not my place to do that anyway. But if there are people who genuinely feel a little bit uncomfortable with just doing what they've always done because they've always done it and something deep down in their heart says, well, this doesn't make sense to me, then maybe my story will help them and that's the only reason why i'm doing it i'm not i'm not doing it to try and be confrontational to anyone but um you we 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 still do have even in the united states we still there's there's still is freedom of expression and actually the constitution protects freedom of religious beliefs although you wouldn't think so uh, often my um, parents weren't overly what i would call religious if i asked them what religion they were, they would say Anglican, because I guess everybody typically is born into a religion. But they weren't, they didn't go to church and we didn't say grace before dinner. But where I got my religion from big time was actually the school for the blind. I mentioned the music and that was a really important part of it. Um, And we used to do a lot of um, church services, a lot of sacred work. Um, We even had a religious instruction class at our school for the blind once a week. And uh, I used to listen to a, a Christian radio station, which I liked. So my parents weren't overly religious, but I was getting a lot of uh, indoctrination from other sources. Mm. Yeah. I, I just say before we go on that I, my big, my biggest hope for um, doing this podcast is just simply to promote understanding and, that was why I was interested in discussing it because um, my dad is an atheist. And I remember one time we told a really religious friend that he was an atheist. And the first question he asked was, well, is he happy? And I was like, what? 
So I, I, that's, that's one of the reasons I wanted you to talk about it was here you'd, in the U.S. you'd be of two minorities and also, you know, blind and um, an atheist. And I, I just want to promote understanding. Um, mm. And I, but I think that's a really good point. There are a lot of angry atheists out there. I suppose there are a lot of angry people generally out there. And um, I suppose some people need the fervent rhetoric of someone like Richard Dawkins. And maybe there was a point in my journey where I found that helpful, particularly when you're trying to recover from uh, religious indoctrination. And I think there is a recovery process where you start to learn to think for yourself and question, um, really try and, and rationalize your own thought processes. But it can also turn people off because um, I, it's almost like it, it seems to me that Richard Dawkins is almost as fundamentalist in his atheism as a lot of people he criticizes are in their Christianity, and I'm not sure that's particularly helpful. So I don't claim to have all the answers, but I do claim to have read uh, most of the world's famous sacred texts, and I have really studied them. I know a lot more about the Bible than many Christians do, which frustrates me. <laughs> um, and and uh, and so it, it is something I've given a lot of thought to. I think it is a really interesting question about, you know, what or who or, you know, what, what put us on this planet? Um, what's the purpose of being here? And how can we make best use of the time that we have, which is just a blip in the wider scheme of, of, of the cosmos, really? Yeah, so... Um... You, you you said that you um, got, you know, started getting, feeling religious from the School for the Blind. Did you join a, a group? Did you join a religion? I, I did, actually. Um, in the When I was a teenager, I got in touch with a, a Pentecostal church. We, we used to do services, special events and stuff at the Anglican Cathedral quite a bit. <clears throat> it was a pretty cool experience, actually, singing in the cathedral and the acoustics are great. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah cool. Uh, but um, I somehow, I don't even specifically recall, maybe it's because, I, yeah, I think it may have been because um, the music teacher at the time was heavily involved in a Pentecostal church. And the music was better there, frankly, you know, than the Anglican church with their organ, you know. And uh, these guys at the Pentecostal church, they, they had a good time. You know, they were, they had a band and they were singing kind of music that had a bit of swing to it. And, um, oh man, it was rocking. And so, I contacted the local Pentecostal church and my parents were pretty relaxed about that. They said, well, if that's something that you've decided you want to do, then, you know, go ahead. Mm. And, um, um, they, they would send a volunteer to pick me up in the car on a Sunday morning and I would go and be, be a part of that. So yeah, I was, I was a regular church going when I go when I was a teenager. Was it, so what made you, um, lose your faith? Mm, I, um, a couple of things. Um, one was actually the radio station that I talked about, which was called Radio Enterprise. And one day I got I got castigated without warning. Castigated I did by the vo the volunteer who picked me up to go to church, and she said, "I've seen you a lot on the TV lately and in the newspapers and stuff about your radio station," and. Um, 
And she said, and um, you haven't given any glory to God for all of this. And I'm sort of thinking, huh? <laughs> she said, yeah, haven't seen you in any interview. Um, praise God for, uh, for, for, for all the gifts that he's given you and this sort of stuff. And I sort of thought, well, you know, um, mm, I, I've spent hundreds of hours working on this project. Um, right. And a, a lot of the work that I've done, I've actually done. Um, and it, is, it, is it really, do we worship a God so vain that he requires me to kind of praise him all the time? I would have thought that running the universe and with all the wars and famine and mess there is in the world, that God probably doesn't give two hoots whether I mention him in an interview or not. And also, um, I I believe in individual responsibility. I believe that um, um, you you succeed or you fail based on on the effort that you put in. And I don't really didn't really see the connection with God there. Um, the big one though, which caused a bit of a, a schism, was that um, I. I um, had a friend who developed a serious illness and um, it, it, it appeared at the time to be terminal. And um, that was my first confrontation really with the whole question of why do bad things happen to good people? You know, and this debate goes, goes on and on. Yeah. But it made me think about whether there really is a personal God as such. And I've had many encounters with this over the years, even quite recently. So we, we had quite a big earthquake here um, while I was away uh, in the United States. We had a 7.8 magnitude earthquake, which was very scary for everybody involved. And there was some loss of life, mercifully, because it happened at midnight. Um, there wasn't a lot of loss of life, but one is too many. Yeah. And um, so there was this chat on an email list about the quake and um, people asking Jonathan and Bunny okay, and I'm really grateful for that. And somebody posted a message and said, well, um, it, how thankful they were that God had spared us. And then, of course, what, what you get in that situation is if God has spared you, if, he, if God has made a conscious choice to spare someone, then he must have also made a conscious choice to kill someone else. If we believe that there's a personal God who's in control of absolutely everything, then God has consciously chosen to allow the death of someone to happen. And I actually find this incredibly offensive. <laughs> a few years ago, I was I was um, reading someone's tweets, and it was a very scary thing because they were talking about how there was a serial killer. I'm not making this stuff up. There was a serial killer in their apartment block. Oh. And that um, – the the neighbor had been killed, but this person tweeting had not. And they were saying how grateful they were that God had chosen not to have her killed off. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm glad you're alive too. But if if you really do subscribe to the idea of a personal God, then it means that he either went to sleep on the job or he made a conscious decision to allow somebody to be murdered. You can't have it both ways. Um, it's like whenever anything good happens, praise the Lord. And whenever something bad happens, then it's uh, yeah, obviously it's Satan's fault or God's will works in mysterious ways. It all just seems a little bit primitive to me. And I understand why it's attractive you know, 2,000 years ago when we're much more suspicious 
species and we knew a lot, le- a lot less. But it doesn't make sense. And I think that anything, anything that is credible will survive scrutiny. I think it's an obligation that we have as a species to question and uh, think about things in new ways because that's how we have advanced in terms of not only science but attitudes as well. You know, it wasn't that long ago that slavery of uh, the people we now refer to as African Americans was justified biblically. And um, a lot of the people who are now saying that there is justification for discrimination against homosexuals would, a couple of hundred years ago, have been saying exactly the same thing about African Americans. And religion apparently justifies that, that that there's, um, there's some sort of biblical justification. You can pretty much justify anything in the Bible if you, um, if, if you want to. So, yeah, that it, it got me, those incidents really got me thinking about, well, why am I doing this? And I realized that probably why I was doing it was because I wanted to belong. And I think this is a really big deal, particularly in the United States, where churches are kind of a place where the community gets together for fellowship once a week. And some people are very devout, but a lot of people go because it's it's somewhere to go to get together with, with their local community, particularly in rural areas, you know, less built up areas, more traditional areas. It's it's a place where people gather. Um, there are there are there are meetings and social events all around the church. And so for a lot of people they kind of shrug their shoulders and they say, Well, yeah, I know it's all kind of a little bit unrealistic these days and but it keeps it keeps everybody, you know, gives everybody a moral code. And I'd rather believe in it and be wrong than not believe in it and be wrong and find that I'm going to burn in hell for eternal fire. And I, I say to them, don't you think God knows that? Don't you think God can look right into your heart and see that you're just hedging your bets? Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a fascinating area. Was it painful to lose your faith? Yeah, it was. It was I was very scared. I was, I was really scared. I was, I was scared of being sort of smited. You know, if I, if I said, <laughs> if I said something that was, sort of sacrilegious or something of, of, of having bad things happen to me. But that's the thing. Um, I don't necessarily agree with the way that Richard Dawkins says all that he says. Um, and, and I don't, I don't completely deny any spiritual dimension uh, as he appears to do, but I do, I do agree with him that religion is child abuse because you're brainwashing kids who've had no choice like if you discover a philosophy later in life, and fair enough, you know, if, if it works for you, if you can take out of it what helps you to be on the straight and narrow, that's wonderful. But uh, a lot of kids literally have the fear of God put into them, and they are genuinely scared and timid, and I don't think that we've done ourselves any service as a species by by doing that. And a lot of the people that I come across, they're just a victim of their geography. So if they were born just picking a state at random <laughs> in Kentucky, then maybe that's why they've become an ardent 
fundamentalist Christian. Had they been born in Tehran, they'd be just as fundamentalist a Muslim. They've never really taken the time to to read all of the sacred texts, to understand them, to think, well, you know, maybe there are just some things that don't apply to us in 2016 that we've moved on in terms of morality and acceptability and um, they, but but they don't. It's it's just an indoctrination. Talk about where do you get morals from? I I remember telling talking to a friend of mine about um, my dad, and she was you know and just mentioning that he you know doesn't smoke and he's an atheist, and she was just shocked that he didn't smoke. And I was like, well, smoking is not good for your health. <laughs> um, so where do you get where do you get where do you get morality from? Because I think a lot of people um, of you people's views is that they get it from their religion. Well, I certainly don't get my morals from the Bible where there are passenger, passages encouraging the stoning of women for adultery. <laughs> and I, I certainly don't get my morality from the Bible that also talks about um, stoning and, and killing of homosexuals. And I certainly don't get my morality from a Bible that talks about sacrificing a baby son to God, which is just beyond hideous. So let's not for a moment kid ourselves and say that the Bible is somehow a moral book. Uh, it, if, if it wasn't the Bible, it'd probably be classified somewhere for the gratuitous violence and hate speech that is contained particularly in the Old Testament. So I get my morality, I believe, from a consensus that is built up in society where we as a people think about and determine through a democratic process um, what is acceptable to us as a society and what is not. So let me give you an example of this. Um, New Zealand has become quite liberal in recent times. We do have gay marriage here uh, and we celebrate that. But another thing that was more controversial was the legalization a few years ago of prostitution. Now, I don't understand um, why anyone at either end of that transaction would participate in it. Um, for me, uh, that kind of um, experience should be one of, of love. But who am I to judge? If you've got somebody who is... Um, willing to pay and you have someone who is willing to be paid, then does do, do I have a right to interfere with that transaction? The difficulty comes, of course, when you have any kind of exploitation. And so if you have people who are forced into it by unscrupulous people or who are forced into it because of their circumstances, then that's absolutely hideous. And we as a society need to face up to that. But if you have a well-regulated environment where people are doing this because they choose to do it, then what harm is it actually doing uh, to us as a society? So I would far, you know, I'd far rather have the authorities regulate this and make sure that kids in particular and um, vulnerable minorities um, are not being exploited than have it go under the, the rug, as it were, because it will always go on. And so if we know that it's always going to go on, let's make sure that it's done in as safe a way as possible where people understand the risks and where vulnerable people are protected. 
Wow. So what is that? What has that been like? How long has that been legal? Um, I think about 10 years or so now. Um, I mean, it, it's still controversial. And it, it, as I say, it does make me uncomfortable um, because I, it sure as heck isn't something I'd want either of my daughters to be doing. Um, so, uh, but, but the thing is, it, we have to we have to acknowledge the way that people are and um, it is what they call the oldest profession for a reason. And so if we just acknowledge that um, this is human nature and that there are genuinely willing buyers and genuinely willing sellers, then we have to make sure that it's done in a safe way. So um, morality, I think um, we, we, we hopefully become more enlightened as a people. I mean, there is, there are lots of cases, I think, in, in the Bible where blindness is viewed as a very negative thing. Just the other day, I was talking on the Mosin Explosion, for example, about the expression, the blind leading the blind. And because I know my Bible, I know that comes from the book of Matthew. I may be wrong, but I think it's chapter 11. And, um, <laughs> and, and, and uh, Jesus says that they're blind leaders of the blind. And when the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Oh, and we had, we had a discussion about this, um, about whether that was offensive or not, the expression, the blind leading the blind. And in my opinion, it absolutely is offensive because it's substituting the word blind for incompetent yeah. or stupid. You could, you could easily substitute that Bible verse with they are the incompetent leading the incompetent, and it means the same thing. So the Bible uses the term blind in that way to belittle people without sight and portray them as un incompetent. And why that matters is because you have employers, you have people who make decisions, who read their Bible, and they're getting these subtle signals that blindness equals incompetence. So it matters to me. Um, blind people are often in the Bible people who, you know, want to be, who have to be healed. And I have struck this with Christians in many churches where they go along and people don't accept them for who they are, they question their faith and they say, if you prayed harder and were right with God, you would be healed. God would heal you. <laughs> um, you know, come on. This is 2016 and we know the genetic and other conditions that cause blindness. Um, right. and, and if there is to be healing that's going on, it will probably be done through gene therapy. Yeah, yeah. Um, what is, has death been hard? I, I remember talking to my, my brother, um, he's, he's also an atheist and I was asking him about it and he said something that I found kind of poignant. He said, you know, I miss our grandfather a lot and I'd, I'd love for him to be somewhere and to see him again. I just don't see any evidence for it. Yeah. It's the toughest of all things, I think. And I think it's the... It's the thing that keeps people in religion the most is that if you really love someone and that someone has died, it's incredibly comforting to think that there's a heaven somewhere where you will see that person again and it helps with the grieving process. And I think for people who genuinely believe that there's no evidence at the moment that there is anything after death you kind of feel like you're telling a five-year-old something about Santa Claus they don't want to hear. You know, it's it's really, really tough. And look, I'd, 
I'm not here to say that I have the answers. I'm here to say that I'm, I'm curious and I keep exploring. Um, and I don't see any strong evidence at this point that there is anything after death or that we reincarnate or anything like that. But I keep looking for now. I have to believe that there isn't anything because I've got no evidence that there is. And in a way that influences my behavior, I don't get it right all the time by any means at all, but I try to live each day as if it were my last here. And I live my life on the expectation that this is the only thing I have. I'm not working towards some kind of better afterlife. Um, my, I mean, immortality, if it's to be achieved, in my view, is done through what you leave behind. So if I've done any advocacy projects that make life a little better for blind people in New Zealand, for example, or when I look at the role that I played in the copyright legislation in New Zealand that started the ball rolling for the Marrakesh Treaty. Oh, it <laughs> you know. passed that here in the US. Sorry for, yeah, the, sorry for the digression, but oh my God. <laughs> all, of, all of those things, you know, um, if, if I've... If I produced a tutorial that helps someone use their computer more, those are really practical things that I hope have just, you know, not not through sort of major initiatives, but just just gently making the world fractionally better. And if we each did that, you know, there's the old saying about if we all just lit one candle, what a brighter world it would be. If we could all just do that and focus on making the life we have now, the one we're certain of, as best as it can be, and being kind to people and um live and let live, then we'd probably have a much happier planet. But I, I see people wasting their lives away, putting up with injustice or oppression or mediocrity because they believe they'll be rewarded for that in some afterlife that I see no evidence exists. It's it's sad because it's wasting the one thing we're sure of. How do you how do you deal with how do you personally deal with the death of somebody you care about it. You've had you've had guide dogs, right? I mean, you've had guide dogs before, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. I I remember when you I listened to your interview with the president of the Seeing Eye, and just the way you described that bond that takes place. You you've been there. You get it. So how do you deal with it when? How do you deal with it when your guide dog dies, or how are you going to deal with it when your parents, who have been such a beautiful influence on your life, die? How do you how do you deal with that? I know that nothing is permanent. It was George Harrison who said all things must pass. Presumably he got it from somewhere. Mm -hmm. But but it's true. Everything in our lives is fleeting. And in the context of the universe, it's just a tiny speck on the continuum of time. So I know that people in my life that I care about very, very much will not be here forever. And so I try to make the most of them while they're here. When, they, when they're eventually not, I don't deny it is a really sad process. And, but, 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 you know, Christians grieve too. Even, even though Christians believe that they're in heaven now, and maybe that does provide some comfort, you still grieve for what what you had with them, that the relationship that you enjoyed has been lost with that person. So it's not like a cure-all. Um, and I eventually, when I'm over 
uh, when, when, I, when I, I mean, sometimes you never get completely over a grieving process, but when you start to move on, when you're ready to try and pick up the pieces a bit, I'm grateful. I express a lot of gratitude in my life for the experience that having that person or that guide dog in my life has brought to me. And I hope that they've enriched my life as a result of being part of it. And I'm grateful for that. Um, so it's, it's not easy, you know, death, death is never easy, but I'm not sure that religion completely erases that either. Yeah. I just, I just, um, I was thinking about, you know, my first guide dog and, you know, it was painful when she passed away. But the memories of her now are, I love them. They make me happy to think about her. Yeah, you do get to that point. It's a really horrible, yeah, difficult process to get through. But then, of course, there is debates. I mean, learned scholars who have the time to think about these things debate whether animals go to heaven either. Have you seen that? You know, that, that, you, that some people don't believe that animals do go to heaven. Really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, why no, I've seen that. That, some, that? Some animals I mean, don't, if don't... you believe in a heaven, why wouldn't you believe? I, I, yeah, yeah, it's wonderful. No, well, well, I have certainly read that some people believe that animals don't go to heaven, and that's the thing. There's so much ambiguity, and it's not really surprising that there's so much ambiguity because this was a bunch of quite disparate books in some cases written by individuals a very long time ago, and often there's a lot of debate about the translation. And, you know, if this were God's definitive word, I would, you know, it, it would seem to me that God might want to come and smite someone for mistranslating his, his, his words, you know, because this is pretty important. If, you, if you've got ambiguity over how God wants you to live, then he's not making it very easy. Um, you know, at least at least give us a very clear user guide here for for what we're supposed to do. And then if we don't do it, well, you know, we haven't followed the manual and then, you know, that's our problem. But there's a lot of ambiguity about what the manual actually says. So um, I, I also, I guess, started to struggle with the idea that God created Satan. And we don't often focus on this, but you've got a God who is omnipotent, according to the Bible, who's all knowing and created um, Lucifer, who eventually left the left God's ways. And people say to me, Christians say to me, well, that's because God creates us with free will. And what we do once we're created is our business. But the thing is, if God is all-knowing, then he knows all, right? And that means that God will know what the future holds. And God must have known then that in creating Lucifer, he was creating evil. So he, he he's created it. it. It's a logical fallacy when you really dig down deep in it enough. And um, th there are much more, in my view, constructive ways to be at peace with the universe and with other people um, I I don't have any difficulty with people um, practicing their religion if it helps them, and I would indeed defend their right to do it. I would I would protest in the streets if it were ever curtailed. What I do have a difficulty with is those religious beliefs somehow um, becoming legislated so that those of us who don't believe them are 
forced to abide by them. I do object to religious beliefs in be, being being um, forced on me in inappropriate gatherings. One of the things that I resented very, very much was that I used to have to be at every minute of an ACB general session because I was streaming it when I ran ACB radio. And they would start with an invocation, which was usually, but not always, a Christian invocation. Um, and I had nowhere to go. And my view is, look, if you want to worship the deity of your choice, then do that in your hotel room before you go down. If you feel that you're getting guidance from that deity, then then great. You know, that's fine. I'm not not knocking it if it works for you. But don't force it on me in a gathering that has nothing to do with religion at all. It's it's inappropriate and we really should stand up against that stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. I I remember um I remember the uh, being at an ACB convention and it was just after um the Supreme Court had held and upheld under God and the Pledge of Allegiance. Oh yes, I remember that too. <laughs> remember yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. And when the everybody said the pledge, they said under God very, very loudly. Yeah, very loud. I remember that vividly as well. And look, people don't know their history very well in many cases. The under God thing was introduced in the 1950s to the right. Pledge of Allegiance. It wasn't there before. It was a, a reaction to the Cold War and the whole thing that was going on then. Um, the the whole concept of separation between church and state that was fundamental to the Constitution in the United States has been blurred over the years. I mean, you've got in God we trust on the currency now. It's just It's just really inappropriate and um it, it somehow people think that if they believe in these very disparate disconnected illogical ideals that it makes them superior to people who don't and i think this is the issue um while i'm relaxed about people believing whatever works for them others don't accord me the same courtesy and in fact the, the very nature of Christianity, you look at um, John fourteen six, I believe that's the one, which is uh, the I am the way, the truth, and the light. No man come, cometh to the Father but by me. So basically what that's saying is if, if you don't believe in this particular version of religion, one of many, many sort of myths and legends about gods and and, and, and how we got here that have existed over the millennia. If you don't believe in this particular one, then you are going to burn in eternal fire. You are going to, you are going to be in a, absolutely excruciating agony for eternity. Let's not sugarcoat it. I mean, that's what hell is. <laughs> and um, so, so it's a pretty, people talk to me about atheism being hate speech. I can't think of, much more hateful speech than saying that because you don't believe what I do, you are going to burn in hell forever. It's pretty pretty real, man. Right, right. Um, well, did, um, is there anything else you wanted to say about it before we move on? Um, yes, <laughs> and that is that. I, I, you're, you're, just, I, just I, that. I have found a very passionate subject with you. <laughs> <laughs> I I did want to say that. Um, I I keep exploring, and if there were some sort, I'm, I mean, I'm really opening myself up here, but if, if there was some sort of evidence that came along that made me think that I am wrong 
and that the Christian version, you know, and I've studied, I've studied Islam as well, and I bet you there are many Christians who have not, uh, who have not even picked up a Quran because you know, they judge people who, who they've never, whose religion they've never investigated or never met. There are some terrible fundamentalists out there in Islam. Of course there are, but there are also some pretty scary fundamentalists in uh, Christianity as well over the years. Um, and in fact, Religion has been used over the years to oppress questioning and free thought and scientific investigation. I mean, let's not forget Galileo and, and what he went through. And if you're a Christian and you don't know about Galileo, then you should look him up. But also, I think um, th that every so often I get people who email me and they say, hey, I've got this I've got this uh, film or book or whatever that you should read. And when you read it, it's going to like completely change your perspective. And the most recent one was from Ray Comfort. Um, and he's put a video together called The Atheist Delusion, um, taking, obviously, um, Richard Dawkins' title and twisting it on its head. And in this video, he corrals <laughs> a series of teenagers. And I guess he must have had to carefully select the teenagers. I bet there were a lot of edits done on this to get the product he wanted. Um, a bunch of teenagers who said that they were atheists and then he basically harangues them with um, logical fallacies like um, do you believe that something could possibly come out positively come out of nothing uh, and then so he says well th there's got to be a designer because nothing can't come, something can't come from nothing someone had to design it and he points to a book and he says um, do you believe that this book designed itself so basically what he's trying to do is is um, dispel the theory of evolution oh, yeah. the trouble is there has to be a beginning somewhere you you get yourself in a loop where eventually you say well okay well who designed the designer there, there has to be a point at which something happened that we don't fully understand yet you know so um then then he made this huge logical leap that um went from okay so there had to be a designer therefore the bible is true <laughs> <laughs> and then he harangued the, harangued these poor teenagers about um, not not being right with God and the Bible. So it's a big leap to say there was a designer, and maybe there was. I mean, maybe the theory of evolution will not withstand further scrutiny. But I'm very happy for that scrutiny to continue. And if there's strong evidence that, in fact, the theory of evolution um, and the Big Bang, in particular, is not correct, then we should change it. One thing I do admire very much about um, the Dalai Lama, is that he said, if there's a fundamental conflict between what science has irrevocably proven and Buddhism, then it's Buddhism that needs to change. Uh, and I, I like that about him. Um, the final thing I just wanted to say is that, so while I, I don't accept at the moment the concept of a personal God because I see no evidence, and you just look at the world around you, man, <laughs> it's uh, uh, we, you know, I, don't, I don't think we should be terribly happy with the job he's doing if there is one then um, I, do, I do think there's a lot we don't understand about the spiritual that science hasn't yet explained. And I think there is more to us than a series of neurons, and I don't claim to fully understand that, and I keep probing and, and being curious. Meditation is really important to me. I discovered meditation a few years ago, and it's completely changed my life. It's made me... A better person I think it's made me more productive um, I used to drink alcohol and I don't anymore because I found that the meditative states and the peace I feel inside myself 
is so much better as a result of the meditation I do that alcohol just interferes with it. And so I do, I do explore these things. And the thing that encourages me about meditation is that you can put somebody under an MRI scan and watch them meditate and you can actually see the chemical composition in the brain change. You can see positive things. You can see strengthening of the prefrontal cortex, which is like the chief executive of your brain that controls the quality of the decisions you make. And see, that's evidence I can use. That's genuine scientific proof that a practice that you can enter into can really make your life better. So I continue to look for evidence. And if I find evidence that changes my mind about something, I hope I'll be big enough to change it. Yeah. Um, are we going to have, will the United States have a blind president or an atheist president first? Ha! A blind president, I'd say. Do yeah. You? Um, really? Yeah. Well, you've had FDR, although FDR was pretty sneaky about hiding yeah, his disability. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I don't know whether they would have elected him if they'd realized quite the extent of it. But uh, I read the polls, and it seems that atheism is way down the list. Um, and I'm, I'm sad about that because um, I hope that most reasonable people even if they don't agree with a lot of what I've said, will conclude at least he's given some careful thought to this. I have read various translations of the Bible cover to cover, and I can tell you that a lot of uh, people who, who claim to be Christian and practice religion have not, and they don't know about a lot of the uh, atrocities that are, that are in the Old Testament in particular. Um, but for some reason, there's something about that word atheist, and I suppose... You know, people have thought about using a different word. You know, do you use non-believer? Do you use free thinker? Look, all atheist means is that you don't subscribe to the idea that there is a personal single God out there controlling everything and sort of making decisions. And I don't believe that, but I'm happy to investigate um, what else might be out there and, and, and why, why else we exist. It's a fascinating question. Yeah, I think so too. Um, in your in your presentation to the Nori disease, you said you talked about, I guess what I will term, even though you didn't, the kind of some of the skills of blindness: forgiving, advocating, and educating. Talk about those because I I think that's um, I think that's something you end up needing to be good at if you have a disability. You said forgiving first, right? Yeah, yeah, forgiving, educating, and educating. Well, I, I don't know if they come in any particular order, but I think that mm. I think that if you're going to happily function as a disabled person, you're going to have to learn them. Yeah. Well, forgiving kind of segues us nicely, actually, out of the atheist discussion because, of course, um, Christians in particular believe that God forgives you for anything that you've done wrong and God can forgive others for anything that they've done wrong. And that's kind of nice, I suppose, but um, I believe it short circuits a very important process. And that is that if bad things have happened to you, or actually if you've done bad things, you know, because we're all human and we, we, we make errors sometimes, some of them more egregious than others. And I think it is really important to learn how to forgive other people and most important, how to forgive yourself because you can't forgive other people unless you also are a bit gentle with yourself and say, okay, look, this was a really dumb thing I did, but I've learned from the experience. I, I um, And I think that is one of the problems potentially with 
religion is that if you think God's wiped the slate clean, but you haven't really learned the lesson of what he's wiping the slate clean for you for, then you may repeat the same mistakes and just think, oh, well, you know, I can go back and be forgiven again. <laughs> um, so, so the process of self-forgiveness and actually doing it without a deity involved is harder, but it's more permanent and possibly more um, meaningful in terms of the change that you make in your life. So in terms of forgiving others, it's, it's, it's a hard concept to explain um, because it doesn't necessarily mean that you forget what someone did to you. And it doesn't mean that you necessarily want to have anything to do with them anymore. I've forgiven people who I just want completely out of my life. And, um, <laughs> uh, but so, so I haven't forgotten, but forgiving, I think is about mm, not letting the person or the situation have control over you anymore. Cause if you haven't forgiven, it often means that you're resentful about a particular person or a situation. Um, it means that you're angry and yeah, you know, there is a lot of science that proves that if you're carrying a lot of stress and anger and resentment around with you, it does impact on your health, not just your mental health, but it can be an impact on physical health as well. So forgiveness is very hard to do, but I think it's a really important skill to, to learn. I mean, otherwise, if, if you're talking about discrimination, for example, if you don't forgive someone, um, the, you know, that then then you you just carry it around with you and it can impact your other interactions. That's not to say, again, that forgiving means you let someone off the hook. Um, if there are legal consequences of what someone has done, then by all means use those legal consequences if it's serious enough, absolutely. And I've, I've done that. I mean, if I've been the victim of discrimination and I feel that it's unlawful discrimination, then the law is there for a reason and um, and use it. But then when that process is over, you've got to know when to let go. Yeah, and I think I think that's um I think, you know, when you have a disability, sometimes people are just dumb. <laughs> and they they say dumb things and they do dumb things and I I think that for your for our own health that can be important is to be able to forgive them and move on. Um, yeah, also just have a sense of perspective, you see, because some sometimes I see people just going through airports or or going through lines of any kind and somebody trying to be helpful and you don't really need their help but some people can be so rude you know some some blind people and um it, there's nothing to be gained by being at war with the world people you can perhaps gently educate you can gently persuade um sometimes you have to be a little bit firmer if the, they don't take no for the answer the first time but there's no need to kind of go into a situation expecting conflict or difficulty because sometimes i find that if you're resonating that kind of attitude, somehow conflict and um, difficulty comes to you. You know what I mean? If you're if you're a bit more easygoing, it's funny how it makes a difference in the way that other people deal with you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I agree. Um, what about advocating and educating? What are your thoughts? I'm a big fan of um, both collective advocacy and self-advocacy. I think they have their place and um, I've been involved a bit was the president of New Zealand's um, advocacy organization for blind people in New Zealand and it's made a huge difference just as I believe both NFB and ACB have made a huge difference in the United States uh, but there are times when you do need to know how to advocate for yourself and again um, it comes back to what I was just talking about it's nice to do so in a way that 
hopefully it isn't too full on and puts people at their ease. Bonnie's very good at this, my wife. She, um, she's got a real relaxing kind of way with people. And even if her guide dog is being challenged when she's getting into a taxi or something like that, um, she will eventually report them if um, they really aren't going to, um, to carry them. But she just has this knack of being very friendly and it's, it's disarming to people when if somebody is exuding a lot of negativity, a lot of bad energy and you come back with, you know, look, it's no big deal. It's all fine. It's positive, you know, and, and sometimes, sometimes it is disarming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and educating is important, although sometimes it gets old. <laughs> yeah. And it's tiring, you know, I don't deny that. Um, when you feel like you have to constantly educate people, sometimes you can just you just want to be out doing your thing, and you don't feel like you have to be an ambassador for the blind community all the time. Um, so so that's that's difficult. But um, I I actually enjoy the educating stuff when my kids were younger. They'd come home from school and they'd say, you know, we're doing we're doing blind people next week, Dad. <laughs> we're doing blind people, and. Uh, and and we said we could bring a real exhibit along, so um, I'd go, <laughs> I'd go along to to the schools and not just my kids' schools, but others as well, and um and talk to kids about what it's like to be a blind person and what you know, what life is like, and some of the questions that the kids ask are so cute and and quite disarming, um, so I enjoy that, and also I think education is important um, in terms of job readiness. Um, I do a lot of media interviews with mainstream media about technology because like, especially if there's a new iPhone or a new version of iOS or whatever, I get contacted by media outlets uh, to talk to them. And my role there, I think, is just, just, just try and say, look, there's a lot of technology out there that blind people can use that can make them very productive on the job, full participants in, in, in a workplace and in society hopefully a little bit gets through and that it might help next time an employer has a blind applicant. Yeah. I remember when we were, when we were visiting, I had called you up to talk um, to you just about the podcast and get a, you answered one of my Amadeus pro questions. And you told me a story about um, you were taking one of your kids to kindergarten and I guess over <laughs> in New Zealand, they're like four and yes. the teacher um asked your child if they were taking care of you tell tell that story because i i love your response i thought that it was such a great i thought it was a great way to respond to the situation that i think is really not an easy one to be in it wasn't easy we um the kindergarten had this thing called bangers and beer bangers meaning sausages the idea was that they would get the dads who maybe work during the day and don't have as much interaction with the kindergarten to come along in the evening and have a couple of cans of beer and learn about what the the kindergarten did. And um, Heidi was really keen for me to go to this, even though I used to actually walk and pick her up from kindy quite a bit. But so I, I said I'm happy to go with her. So we walked. Um, I was working with my with a guide dog then, and so we uh, we walked to the kindergarten. It was a really sunny evening, and um, Heidi was holding my hand as she did then, and knew exactly how it was when she walked with her dad. And we got there 
And we were just milling around and she was showing me the pictures that she'd done recently and all sorts of really cute things like this. And I was loving it. Mm -hmm. And then the kindergarten teacher came over and said to Heidi, you're a very good girl for looking after your dad like that, aren't you? And and sort of made all these other comforting comments. And um, I, I was really annoyed about this, but I knew that if... I made any kind of comment at this point that I would spoil Heidi's evening. And sometimes you just have to know when it's time to shut up. So we just went on. We looked at more pretty pictures and <laughs> different things that she'd done. And then we went home. And then uh, I made, I called and I made an appointment with that teacher. And I met with her in her office and I said, I just need to no, need to tell you that I don't appreciate you undermining my parental authority. Um, a four-year-old does not look after a perfectly capable parent. And that if anything like that ever happens again, I'll be withdrawing her because I can't have you um, undermining my authority in that way. Uh, and I explained to her um, just how, you know, what, what, what kind of a part I played in, in her life. And she sort of graciously said, well, thank you. I appreciate you telling me this and I apologize. So it was far better to deal with it in a delayed way than causing a scene in front of Heidi and the other children at the time. Yeah, I, I, I just, I love that because um, I was at a conference years ago and the the presenter said, when it comes to disability, common sense goes out the window. <laughs> <laughs> I love that saying. I think it's very true. And I think sometimes it can be really challenging to figure out how to deal with um, people's, you know, people just don't get it. And how are you going to, how are you going to deal with it? And, you know, with your daughter and stuff like that, that, I just think, I love that story. I think you really handled it. Yeah. It's it's sometimes, sometimes you have the presence of mind to get it right. And other times there've been, there've been occasions where I could have done things much better. I, I have, I have things that happen like, Maybe twice. It's not a, a frequent thing, but twice I've been just sitting down at McDonald's with the kids or something, something just fairly ordinary like that. And some random member of the public comes along and expresses their disgust or whatever that, that a blind parent is out there without supervision or that, 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 that a blind person is even a parent at all. Um so there's a lot of educating to be done, and sometimes you just have to develop a bit of a thick skin. And in those situations, I kind of used it as an education opportunity, not for that random person who felt that it was even appropriate for them to come and talk to someone they didn't know and pass judgment. But I used it as an educational opportunity for the kids and said, you know, what do you think of that? And they're like, well, they obviously don't know um, what 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 you can do and what blind people can do and um, we had a situation a couple of years ago where my son who was then about 14 was in a social studies class and I don't even know how on earth this came up but this teacher expressed the view that blind people shouldn't be able to vote because they can't see what's you know what's around them and I presume he thought they can't read newspapers or whatever he thought and my son he got up and he said well actually my dad is blind, he's stood for parliament, and he knows more about politics than anyone else I know. So he got up and he gave the teacher what for. Good for him. <laughs> That's awesome. I, um, I love the way that you ended your presentation to the Nori Disease Foundation. You talked about just the bond that you would have 
with a blind, um, you know, if you were to have a blind grandson. I thought that was so moving. Um, I've been criticized for that. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. I got a, there was a blog, I, I wrote a blog post, oh no, where was it? it? It was on the blog somewhere and somebody popped up with a comment and, and said that, um, because I made a comment in a radio interview, I think, that um, I didn't have any blind children and I actually would quite like to. Because I think I think it would be a very special bond for me as a blind parent to have a blind child and instill some of the skills I've learned about blindness. And um, it provoked a really hot discussion about um, um, about this. And, and it may have even been in the context of blind grandchildren too. And obviously, I respect whatever reproductive choices my kids make. And it's certainly not my decision to make in any way whatsoever. But if I do have blind grandsons, I'm really excited about it. Um, I, I, I think it would be a fantastic opportunity to um, do some of the things that blind kids tend to be interested in. I mean, I can imagine this little kid here in the studio where I'm talking to you from doing all sorts of cool, fun things with sound and giggling about making sound play backwards and sort of adding funny echoes and reverbs and things you know blind kids appreciate that stuff in a particular kind of way because they're so auditory and i think it'd be absolutely cool and obviously with um with a blind um granddad and um step grandmum and a and a uh, a mum who is used to dealing with blindness they'll be really well set up and and i just don't perceive blindness as a tragedy i um i'd be excited i mean i'm I'd be excited about being a granddad when the time comes about any child. But if it's blind, there'll be a very special dimension there. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I, you know, one of the reasons I found it so moving is um, if the circumstances, you know, could happen and we have the financial means to do it, I'd love to adopt a blind child. Yeah. I'd know what yeah. to do. And I agree. I, I don't think it's a tragedy. And who better to teach you how to function than somebody who's doing well, you know? Years um, ago, nearly did adopt a blind child, and um, we, were, we were quite close to doing that, and and that would have been that would have been a very special thing for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so I've got two more questions. You've been so awesome. I think we've been talking for uh, two hours. Well, we'll build your hard drive now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but I my my last two questions that I always ask everybody who comes on. Um, what is, what is blindness to you? Um, I know it sounds a bit trite, like I'm sort of trotting out NFB philosophy, but, but I, I do believe blindness is just one characteristic that sometimes can be a pain in the butt. Um, and sometimes it actually does have advantages. Um, so it's, it doesn't define me, but it, it sure is a big influence on how my life was panned out for sure but i don't consider it a, a, a tragedy or i don't really particularly consider it a disability to be honest hmm. what, what do you think some of the ch advantages are because i think the challenges are sort of obvious to everybody but what do you think some of the ad advantages are you know i think one of the advantages can be that you don't judge people based on criteria that are often used to discriminate and it doesn't always apply so if, if you're talk that there are people who can tell by someone's accent say that they're of a different race and if you're inclined to be racist then you can 
be just as racist as a blind person as, as anybody else. But, you know, you don't know necessarily if someone's carrying a lot of weight or if they have some sort of facial disfiguration or anything like that. And actually, I um, knew somebody who I talked to for a long, long time and uh, got on with them very well. And um, then we got onto the subject of racial discrimination and they made the comment that um, you know sometimes um, they they felt that they were being treated in a more detrimental way because they weren't white. And I, I, I said, what are you talking about? Because I had absolutely no clue that this person I was talking to and that I had known very well all this time was Hispanic. Um, so sometimes I like to think that um, th th those sorts of things are um, are of value, and it doesn't always apply. Also, of course, the the great one about being able to uh, to, to read Braille in environments where it would be difficult for a sighted person to read. I oh, like yeah. that. Yeah, um, and I also just hope that um, I, I like to hope it might make us a bit more sensitive to the plight of others who are facing issues, although. I'm less convinced of that now. Um, there, there were a lot of people who just didn't care when I raised the question about the impact that the removal of the headphone jack on the iPhone was going to have on people who wear hearing aids and who, um, you know, cable their phone, you know, who have to have um, audio going directly into those hearing aids and they may need to be able to, to charge and listen at the same time and things. And, um, there is, there is, we're just as capable of a lack of empathy as anyone else, I suppose. Yeah, I think so too. I, I think that, um, you know, your life circumstances can make you more empathetic or, or they may not. It's, it's an individual hmm. choice. Um, and then my last question is, um, what is the most, you know, one of, or the most important lessons that you've learned that you'd want to pass on to somebody who might be listening? Mm -hmm. Just in general? Yeah, general, blindness related, anything you want. I just, I, I love the uh, answers if that I, I get if, to these two questions. They're always fun. If I go with my gut instincts, um, that's a really good question. You should give me notice of that. <laughs> Let me see. If there's one thing I would say, um, I think it's um, that question question assumptions and be prepared to think about things in a new way. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. You've been so... It is my pleasure. You've been You're doing some great real. work here. Oh, thank you. And you've been... It has been awesome. Your tutorial and the time that you've taken just to visit with me and... and uh, just the help that you've given. I can't thank you enough. I'm delighted to do it. And um, I, I hope that I hope that you won't get too much um, pushback about some of our some of our more controversial discussions. But it's it, hopefully it will help somebody who's perhaps in the same place of just looking for their own answers. Thank you for joining us on Ability Stories. Please review this podcast in iTunes. To comment on this episode, please go to abilitystories.podbean.com. If you have any show ideas or would like to be a guest on Ability Stories, send an email to abilitystories at gmail.com. 
and thanks for listening.